Welcome to Creators by Moonlight. Real conversations with content creators. Jeremy Jordan is an unlikely creative. From humble beginnings in the rural South, he went on to explore several different aspects of the entertainment industry, including stand-up comedy and working on set on big-budget movie productions. In this interview, he talks about his experiences, the struggle between working a creative career and paying the bills, and what might come next for him. I grew up in the southeast U.S., Aiken, South Carolina. It had about 30,000 people-ish. Now it's probably about, I don't know, 100. Grew up typical white trash, kind of-ish, super, super poor. It wasn't a bad child or anything. I didn't, like, ever miss a meal or anything, but there's times where, like, that was within view, like missing a meal or sleeping in cars was like, it wasn't something we were doing, but it was something I could definitely see coming up on the horizon. Luckily, it never, never really happened. I remember one time we were going through the McDonald's drive-thru and I wanted chicken nuggets and my mom started crying because like she couldn't afford it. Like, I don't know, I've always had like a relaxed demeanor so like she was freaking out and like we can't afford chicken nuggets and i was like it's not that serious i was like 10 and i was like it's not that serious it's just like we can't have chicken nuggets today growing up so poor it made me age faster than some for sure with that and like just other life experiences but also it also like maybe not care about a whole lot of things that most people do like name brands brands and things and stuff has never impressed me and I, th- I think that's where like the root of it is i don't feel like yeah this jacket costs like a thousand dollars and i could not care less a lot of people in my town have like a small mindset i could say not as good or bad it's just like you know it is what it is and like It was like you go to high school and then if you can go to college on like a sports scholarship or something, you do that. Then if not, like you go get a job at the factory or the or the plant or like you just, you know, very stereotypical, like you graduate, you go get a job, you have kids, you get married and then that's that me now talking to people, I don't even like bring up stuff that I've done just because they're going to have nothing to relate to it. And then I just feel like if anyone acts like they're interested, it's just them forcing like fake interest for the sake of the conversation. I work at a bar sometimes just picking up shifts and people will ask me and I'll just, I will, I will downplay it as much as I can. Like, I, I don't really want to talk about that right now. Hey man, you don't have to do this. You don't care. That's cool. I get it. Like, I'm not mad. I get it. You don't care. I'm cool with that. We, we don't have to like pretend right now if you don't want to. Growing up, I liked like punk rock, um, pop punk, emo music, techno before it was cool. Techno's like, I don't know, it's like cool to like techno now. I liked it with when it was like made you like a weirdo. I've always loved 
watching either like dumb com- like dumb stoner comedies like anything with like Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, Robin Williams, anything like that. Not to say that like I don't like dramatic or like other types of mu- movies. I just feel like I don't know, life can be life can beat you down. So if I get a chance to laugh, I would love to take it. I've always loved anything to do with like comedy and or action. My favorite movies growing up were either comedy or like kung fu flicks. I was a kung fu junkie. I used to love watch those movies religiously. I used to love watching like Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Donnie Yen, Jet Li. I never really liked Steven Seagal. I always thought he was a bit of a clown. I, I liked people if I felt like they could actually do what they were doing in the movies. I read that Steven Seagal had to get a stunt double to run down a flight of stairs for him one time so he wouldn't get out of breath. And I was like, I'm out. I went to a high school, I think my graduating class had about 300 people. So it wasn't insanely small, but wasn't anywhere near like, I guess, like an actual city or anything big like that. I played rugby and competed in MMA all through high school. So I like trained for something or another, powerlifting or strongman. Like I've, I've exercised religiously in high school. I would say I would, the only reason I, I wouldn't agree that I was a meathead is because like I was never a like, I don't know, I had never had like meathead tendencies. You could not care at all about doing any of the things that I liked. And I never was just like, oh, you got to do this. I had a, I'd say I had like a good small group of friends, which is like, if you're lucky, you'll have like three to five friends you really hang on to for life. And, you know, we still keep up with each other. So in that sense, like I didn't, you know, I did better than some. I was always one of those chuckleheads that was like, I'm not going to live to 26. So like, you know, I wasn't the best at making future plans. But the only real plan I ever did make in high school looking towards the future was I planned on joining the Marines directly after high school. Like many in the rural South, Jeremy saw the military as a chance to leave home and improve his lot in life. But his stint in the Marine Corps did not go exactly as expected. I joined the Marines, uh, you could say possibly for a lot of different reasons. One of them was the chance to get away, to do something. You'll have a few opportunities that you never would have had otherwise, to travel, to go to school, all that other stuff. But I'd be lying if I said like, the main reason is because like the recruiters do a really good job of selling you, especially Marine recruiters. I talked to a few others. And they were more honest, which looking back, that was like a, should have been an an inclination of how things were going to go. Like Marine Corps recruiters do a really good job selling you on like the Marine Corps as like an ideology. And it's easy to get swept up and swept away in like the ideas. And I think like that was my biggest reason I joined is because like the more you hang around like the, a group of people enlisting and the recruiters and all that like it just a- anything outside of doing that kind of starts to get pushed out of your mind I trained at Paris Island on the east coast and usually you would go to whatever your follow-on school is on the east coast because I had a special contract I did boot camp in Paris Island but my follow-on school was on the West Coast in San Diego in Camp Pendleton. I, I, I graduated 2012, 
So a lot of the heavy conflict was already done, but like the time I was graduating, quote, air quotes, the war was winding down. I, kn I know plenty of people who <laughs> joined and went, went on deployments and this and that and never saw like any actual like combat zones or anything. It was It was more common to not see it than it was to see it. One of the reasons that like I joined is like I was saying like they sell you on this ideology of like, you know, I, I grew up without a father. So like I was always looking to like prove my manhood. And then like that's like their key marketing tactic or whatever. They were like, yeah, you go on deployments, you go here, you go this and there. I was never in my mind the slightest bit worried about dying or whatever. I was, you know, if that happened, it happened, whatever. I didn't really care. But that's not... That's not how everything turned out. My contract, like my rating in the Marines was originally a 0321, which is like, a, it's in the infantry, it's a recon contract, which is kind of like a specialty contract, which is why I went from the East Coast to the West Coast. Typically, you don't, like that doesn't really happen unless you're going for a specific school or something, which is why I was doing that. I went to recon school and then it was like one of our last tests and a friend of mine who I, I take that back. I thought was a friend of mine was uh, he had had like, I forget it's been so long. He had had asthma or something to where like we were on like a run call and he was going to fail. And so I had been on the West coast for a few months and we had been doing training and then I was told that if you fail out of recon school, then you just go to like a regular assaultman company. To go to recon school, you have to get certified as an MOS before, as just a basic rifleman in the Marine Corps. And I had that. So I thought if I failed out of recon school, I would be a basic rifleman. And when my friend was failing his qual, I was like, you know, if we both bombed out right now, we'd probably get sent to the same place. I thought we were buds. I had kind of become distant. Like I wasn't really liking the whole atmosphere of where I was at. So I was like, yeah, whatever. I missed like the run qual with him on purpose by like a minute. But what I didn't know is like there was a different part of the test beforehand where we did pull-ups and he did like three more pull-ups than I did. So I shot myself in the foot because he still passed, but I failed. So what happened was I failed and got sent out, but he got to stay there. Over the years, I've learned my favorite thing to say is like to hell with this and just do whatever I want. So this was me finding that out the very hard long way. I had just failed out of that school and then you get put into like this holding platoon till they can figure out whatever they're doing next, which I thought was gonna be the basic rifleman because that's what my recruiter told me. But he had lied about a bunch of stuff. So like when that happened, I got reclassed. They gave me a brand new MOS and they sent me to the most isolated Navy base in Mississippi, in Meridian, Mississippi, that is like in like a town of like 20. I'm not exaggerating. It's like a town lost in time from like the late 1800s. And like I got sent there for six months and I was hating my life and because I had already failed out of one school, 
they start to look at like your contract and then after like six months to like eight months i got into a fight with a guy and i kind of got labeled as problem so like my co basically terminated my contract early i've always liked being extra and causing like a scene just because i've always thought it was funny just to like you know mess with people like that but like there that is not smiled upon in any capacity <laughs> That was actually like a silver lining of all of it is like I figured out that like I do enjoy creativity, at least if nothing else, as like I get to be creative and be myself and do it. Whatever strangeness comes into my mind, but like there, that was like, a, no, you don't color outside the lines. Looking back, I wish I possibly could have joined like the army or the navy or something because I feel like you'd have a, more, a little bit more freedom and then I probably would have enjoyed my time there more because there, like, no, creativity is very much frowned upon. I could go I could go on for days about like the negative aspects and how that's like a driving factor of it is like the, the best Marines by their definitions are the ones who can just not think and do whatever they're told for four years straight. Being in the Marines and, and really not being able to be not even cr like creative, yes, but more so than that, just being individualistic. Like that that's one of my favorite things to be is like an individual, you know. Like, I don't care what anyone else is doing. I want to do what I want to do. And like being in the Marines helped me to learn that like being individualistic and like creative is something that like I had appreciated and I didn't really, I always took for granted because that was the only way I've ever lived. Growing up, I didn't have a father and my mother wasn't around a whole lot. So I just done whatever I'd wanted to do my entire life. And now I was inadvertently thrown myself into a environment where that's not accepted at all. I got discharged with an honorable. The sole reason it was an honorable is because I guess if you look at my DD-214, it has certain remarks. I, I don't know really, I don't know like the admin side, so I'm not sure what they mean, but like it doesn't look like a typical, like a regular honorable. But yeah, I did get honorable, which was pretty fortunate because I had friends who did four years and uh, got out and like, Somehow or another, I ended out like in the long term with like school benefits better off than them. So like all things considered, I could have did a lot worse. At just 20 years old, Jeremy found himself back where he started. In rural South Carolina, with no real plan, doing a series of odd jobs. I was 20 when I'd gotten discharged. I had joined right after my 18th birthday so i was in for about a year and a half i got discharged and like i said i was like the only thing i'd ever really planned for my life in like a long term like i'm gonna do this if i'd have put any thought into it while i was getting kicked out i would have thought about what's next but that just wasn't where my head was at i got released i went home you know, I was in a bad mental spot, pretty, pretty awful mental spot for about two years. I just worked on and off here and there. I had a little bit of money saved up because I didn't spend any of the money I'd made in the Marines, more or less. So I just lived off of saved money for a little bit. And then, you know, after a few years, I had been working labor and just backbreaking stuff out in the sun, roofing, doing concrete and rebar construction. and then. I just looked around and I hated all of it to where I was like, I would be miserable if I did this like into my thirties and forties, I would hate my life. 
I worked as a bouncer on it. That was like one of the jobs I had like done just on and off here and there. I worked at this Hispanic club. It was popping, man. That was like one of the, it was one of those times to where like you just look back and you're like, man, I'm glad I don't do that anymore. But that sure was fun while I did it. It was pretty, it was a nifty way to spend the Saturday. Where I worked was like, it's a small town. It's not like the sticks, but where I worked was in the sticks. It was like, like way out by the interstate. So like, it was like a 30 minute drive from town. And it was like this shack, it's still there. I don't know how it hasn't been demolished. It's not active anymore though. It was a building that was literally, it was just like a warehouse 30 minutes from like any type of like residential neighborhood. So like the cops never really went there unless they were specifically called. It wasn't like a daily occurrence, but there was like two or three times where people had like shot at each other. Calling the cops wasn't wasn't like a thought. We were just like, oh, they're, those dudes are shooting at each other. So everybody would just get out the way. And then if they hit them, whatever. And if they didn't, everybody just went home. And they would party till like 7 a.m. hard. The club owner would like hire bands to come from like on tour buses from like Mexico these huge like rancheta bands and like mariachi bands like they would just come and like blow the place out yeah i didn't know this but like my town has a giant hispanic population i guess and like that was their scene so like that was like the only place like they could go to like i guess just go there and be themselves and not have to worry about like i don't know anybody ruining their time so like they would come out to that place in force it would be packed the skills i learned at the club was literally just to stop and observe it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and r- remove all doubt. I learned that like just taking a second to just watch how people interact, you can honestly learn a lot about like a person by like how they interact with other people and then just how they like interact with themselves and a bunch of other things. I learned that like l- learned the human condition, even though like no one there spoke English and I was like the only person who spoke English, like I was still able to like observe how people interact. I'm speaking in a very broad sense, but over all of those years, that's when like I learned that like how much I love being an individual because I would just watch how people, like large groups, interact, and I'd be like, "This isn't for me." I didn't know like what part of it I didn't like, but I was just like, "I just I don't know." So, um, after a few years, I started looking up to see if I had any benefits available to me, even though I was released early. And thankfully, I could still get a small percentage of like the GI Bill for school. That's when like their creativeness started to come out because like when I was in like the bad spots mentally, I just love watching like dumb comedies or just something to take your mind off the burden of like existence. I just remember wanting to contribute in some way, shape or form, but like growing up in the rural South, like that, like you, you don't know where to start with that. You could ask around, you can Google this and that, but like until you have your own sh- like footing of how the movie business or just entertainment or being creative in general works, like when you grow up not in that, that world, you don't know where to even get your footing. I looked it up and I was like, oh, I could go to school. So I went to USC, the University of South Carolina, and I initially started my degree with my major being in theater. I knew you had to have some training, no matter what you're doing with acting, like you have to have some amount of like formal training for just the whole process. So like, that's kind of where like all of that started. 
up until going to school for theater, I had been, you know, just Googling little, you know, like extras here, or come be faceless background person number 5,000. I was like, oh, so I'm going to go like, I'm going to go to school for acting because like that's the part of this that I feel like I would enjoy the most. I started by honestly just Googling. There was a few months stretch where like I was just Googling the process. I was like Googling talent agencies and representatives and agents and casting agencies. And like I was just trying to teach myself enough about the whole process to where like in my mind I could see how things work. And of course, when you're starting out like that and you start Googling and you're finding out things for yourself, you find out that there's tons of scam agencies. There's tons of people just being predators on people who are just hopeful and naive and stuff. It was like me teaching myself to look out for like con artists. And after a few months of Googling, I started just finding you know, extra roles here and there, a few good websites to find like free listings. Like I was going to school full time for the theater. And I was doing like that on the side. Where I was going to school at was about an hour and a half from my house. So like there was some nights like I would get out of class and I would just like sleep in my car, just like be in my car looking up like rolls and stuff on my laptop. I went from being at USC to USC's satellite campus that was in my hometown, which was like 10 minutes from my house instead of an hour and a half. Looking back, I should have just went straight there. But like, you know. I was like, oh, it's a bigger university. I'll get a better idea of like how things work. It like, I don't know. In my mind, it was like more people equals like a better experience, which was like not the case. And then during this time, it was like towards the later years, I had started looking up actual like talent agencies. And then I was like cross-referencing like the talent agencies to the SAG after website to see like who was legit. I submitted to like every talent agency actually. Like every good one I found I submitted to. It, like days upon days of me just mailing or emailing or doing online applications, whatever I could. The first movie I ever worked on was Divergent. It was one of the Divergents. To be completely honest, I don't really, because I believe it's like a series or a trilogy or something. That was the first one I ever worked on was, the, was one of the Divergents. That was in Atlanta. And Divergent was like the first time I had ever really been on like a big budget, you know, like this is an actual movie movie with like, it's not just like a few people and like a white blanket over a window for like lighting. I was like, these people actually have like millions of dollars worth of equipment. That was one of the fortunate things about like, I guess where I live. That was like one of the only fortunate things is because like, you know, like they say Atlanta is turning into the next Hollywood, which is untrue. It's not happening at all. But like, at least they are filming movies there. So like I was always within like a two and a half to three hour drive of like a production set. So when I could, I would always go work. I think the main thing that kept me coming back was that like when you're new at starting something and you're just full of energy for that thing and you're just like enjoying the process and this and that, that was like the main thing that kept me coming back was like, I was just so new to it that like I still had like blinders on and I was like, man, this is so cool. And like, I hadn't, been around enough things to like become disenchanted with it. The initial driving force was that like I wanted to make movies that like just help people give it like in their mind, like give them a break from the day. Even after negative experiences, I would tell, well, at least if I'm ever even given the chance, all of this, like all of the negative experiences would have been worth it up until then. I worked on about 10 movies here and there. Divergent, 
Baywatch, Rampage, 10, it was 15, 17 to Yuma. Just here and there. Atlanta is just where they're filming movies. And they only film those movies there because they get a giant tax break at the end of the movie if they put like filmed in Georgia. Because like it brings revenue and jobs and you know, like income, because like even if the movie crews are coming from other places, they're still spending money there while they're here. But they still cast all the movies out of essentially like LA and New York, followed by like Chicago and Vancouver and the smaller markets of like Austin, Texas and Dallas and San Fran and all that other things. The bulk of casting, like the bulk of like people being found is still New York or LA. I, I would tell people like, oh, I'm going to Atlanta tomorrow to do X, Y, Z. And they'd be like, oh, you know, it's turning into Hollywood. You might be an extra on this and someone sees you. And like, I would, I appreciate why they were saying it. They were trying to be like nice and positive and hopeful, but I'd be like, that's not how it works at all. They're literally just filming stuff there. And then the moment that doesn't become as convenient as it is, they're just going to go somewhere else. So I was like, I'm just fortunate right now to be so close to Atlanta. Devotion was it's just uh, hasn't come out yet. It's just a movie about the Navy's first black aviator, the first black pilot, and uh, I would I would think maybe the last two or three years of his life because he died in the in the Korean War and just like how his obstacles of overcoming like racism and then just being like the first to do something different from how like everyone else and like the struggles that came with that. I went through the pandemic. Everything shut down. Nobody was doing anything with movies. So this is one of the first movies I had heard about getting filmed, like because of post-pandemic and then like streaming services or just killing big budget movies. So this was like the first first movie I'd heard about being produced like that. And it was about not even two hours away from me, like bar- barely two hours. So like to me, that's nothing. Two hours is a day trip. I'd gotten picked for it because they were like, we need people who can be here for a long amount of time and have open availability. Like if you have any military experience, you're going to the front of the line. And I was like, well, I don't have I don't have a job. I have open availability and I have military experience. And they were like, cool. And then they were like, it was a higher rate for sure than any extras, most extras I've ever seen, unless you're doing like a specialty something. The 32s was the name of like a group of pilots that the like the main lead the cast was a part of it was like the central core group they're all part of the same group so they're all together so just by like association you were always in the same place as all the leads and whatnot it equated into like better treatment for us because i guess like we were likened to the actual cast members almost principles it was just, it's weird because like you tell people like almost principles and they think that like you can get discovered that way and i was like you're basically like it's the equivalent of playing like a pickup game at basketball at the rec league and then like an nba scout just walks in and be like you're really good you want to come play for the heat and you're just like like wow this has literally never happened to anyone in history and it'll never happen again but like this one occurrence will give millions of people false hope I just remember coming on set, the aircraft carrier was just a plain tarmac for an airport that they had converted and built this monstrous like eight-story contraption where they had on the the back of it was just like metal rigging, but the front of it legitimately looked like an aircraft carrier. Like, wow, 
everyone here is so nice because I guess like they're just happy to work. Like they're just happy to be back. And I remember talking to people who like that was like their first set. And I just wanted to tell them like, hey, this is not how things work, man. Like this is this is atypical AF, bro. Like this has to be like a just happy to be back at work type deal. And then the devotion set did things that I've literally never heard of. It got hotel rooms for the extras, which is insane. They spent like a hundred grand on hotel rooms for the extras. So like it was a very, very atypical experience that I doubt that like if you were an extra on that, I doubt you'll ever have as good an experience as that ever again. Five years from now, I'll know for sure. But right now it's possible that like devotion was like the tying it off and then being like, well, you know, like maybe it's on to the next thing or at least like, I don't know, I might come back to it, but I could, I, I can feel myself just getting disenchanted with like a lot of the process due to just, you know, like just how people are. After working three months on the set of Devotion, Jeremy had grown disenchanted with the lower levels of the film industry. He sought to either level up and become a legitimate actor or to make money in other non-traditional ways, including a scheme to take part in a paid medical experiment. The New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts, they have like a two months intensive to where like you go there, you you live in New York, and then like you just study eight hours a day at their the conservatory, like their school, they're training for it, which they also offer like four-year degrees. Like that's actually like a place you can go to get definite credentials and like that world. And I, did, I was like, I don't want to do a four-year degree. I'm kind of burnt out on like just college. So I was like, oh, this is a two-month intensive. This is like right up my alley. I just do this and then like for, I just live and breathe it for two months and then let's go from there. That didn't work out because like I just didn't have the financial backing to like still pay for the school because even with the scholarship, it was like a few thousand, like two or three grand. And then you also have to pay like, you know, the cost of living in New York and then pay for like renting a space to live. And I just didn't have the money to like do all of that. So I was like, I just want to bank the scholarship and possibly come back to it next year, which they were cool with, thankfully. So I still might do that next year. And then the other thing was clinical trials. It was a six hour drive. I'd not eaten in two days, hadn't really drank any water because I was going to do a clinical experiment that paid like a lot of money. And to do it, you had to be within a certain BMI, which is a stupid measurement system to start with, like body mass index. And I did not, not slept the night before. I had not eaten or drinking in a few days. And I drove there by their, what they had told me previously. I would have made my BMI by like two pounds. But they had had more people apply for the study than what they had anticipated. So they had restricted like the like the index so like it was tighter standards but they didn't tell me that until i got there so i was like i drove six hours and then i weighed in and they took my height and they were like yeah we restricted the standards you're overweight like you can't do this and i was like what does that mean and they're like you're done i haven't eaten in a few days and you're just gonna like wish me away and then they're like yeah and i was like i need to leave right now we don't need X anymore. We just need YZ. And you're like, but the thing said X, I'm X. And they're like, yeah, but we only need YZ right now. And they're like, you couldn't tell me that before I came here? With 2021 coming to a close, Jeremy, like many others, was attracted to the idea of remote work. 
but he remains conflicted as to whether a stable paycheck is all that a person needs for fulfillment. I'd wanted a straightforward income. And then I had had a little bit of money saved up from like the film because I'm really good at just accumulating money. I did stuff around my house, you know, I did this and that. And I wasn't really actively looking up movie roles or, and then, you know, everyone's hiring right now. Everyone's understaffed, which side note, I love, I just love seeing like, like businesses struggle. Like how like businesses right now are like, oh my God, if you come work for us, we'll give you a $5 pay raise. We'll, we'll do this X, Y, Z. I was like, I wish I could see this in the movie business. I, I just want to see people get a good remembrance of like what actual life is like. Like people in like businesses and like directors and this and that being in this position of authority, getting like shooken back to the world, real world, if only for like a few days. I had applied for a job. They'd be like, hey, you know, big pay raise from nothing because I was unemployed. So I was like, it's a pay raise from what you're getting paid now. I took it. I work remote most of the time now, three days out the week. It's very easy physically. It's not a difficult job by any means. A little bit of learning here and there. The job itself may not be creative, which, you know, like I would consider myself in some dynamic, a creative person. And even if the job isn't creative, I think people need fulfillment from their lives from a few different things, whether it be like their job or, you know, family, wife and kids, whatever. Um, People just need to feel fulfilled in their lives. And I feel like the first two things I said are two out of three things to feel fulfillment. And the third thing is what you do, like with your free time, like who you are outside of all of that. Like, what do you do? Like, Like a lot of people don't have like a very developed sense of self. Like if you ask them who they are outside of like their job and like their family, they really don't know what to tell you. So like being creative wise, I'll randomly like, like I said, just get into something new. I've music's always been like one of the biggest passions of my life. So like currently I just bought like a few training tutorials online from this website that teaches you how to like produce music and like DJ and this and that just as quickly as with like acting i was just like you know head first feet like feet first head in you know like i might stay with that or i just might do something else that is a i view as a creative outlet i live at a halfway point between atlanta and charlotte north carolina and there's a really prominent comedy club in charlotte they had like a six-week class like one night out the week you come they teach you how to do stand-up they give you like an environment that's like conducive to writing jokes and this and that. So yeah, I did that. And then after six weeks, I did stand up. I did like a, like a graduation event that you do like a five minute set and they like have this big venue. And I did that and I did a few other open mics, but yeah, I did that. I enjoyed it. I enjoy comedy. I, I just enjoy comedy. Like stand up is very much a two way street. Like if your jokes aren't hitting, you have to do jokes that are hitting. I was a little delusional because like you see like these prominent comedians doing like these like insanely not offensive, but like Jim Jeffries and uh, Big J uh, Okerson, I think. And like and what you don't know is that like they bombed for years and like they're just now able to do all these like dicey material jokes in front of these large crowds of people because those large crowds of people showed up for those jokes. You, you have to love doing it because if you don't and it doesn't work out, you're going to end up bitter. 
you have to be able to appreciate things even if they don't work out in a way that you hoped that they would. For every biopic of a success they have made, they could probably make a thousand of people who didn't. And that's what they don't tell you is like, it sucks for a very, very, very long time. Like until it sucks until it doesn't. And there might not ever come a day where it doesn't suck. I think the best advice I could give to anyone who's thinking about doing it is realize that enjoying a product versus enjoying how a product is made is two completely separate things. The most genuine advice I could give to be broad enough that's still applicable to just about everyone. Don't just be spending money. That's another red flag. It's like, yeah, if you pay $227, you can come join this exclusive class of this one person teaching this one skill. That's another thing. If you ever have to pay to be represented, get out. It's a scam 100% of the time. 100% of the time. If somebody's like, if you give me 100 bucks, I'll represent you 100% of the time. That's the number one advice right there. Thanks for listening to Creators by Moonlight. Email the show at creatorsbymoonlight at gmail.com and follow the show on social at Creators by Moonlight.